Hello, greetings. We're so glad that you've joined us, and we're so glad for your interest in spiritual matters. My name's Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. If you've done any reading in the Old Testament history, and the Old Testament prophets especially, it's very easy to have a very basic question come to mind. Why did Israel not listen to the prophets? The prophets had warned Israel about impending doom, and Israel did not listen. Judah saw what happened to Israel, had prophets tell them the same thing, they did not listen. How could they have been so blind and foolish? Well, we do well to remember that the Bible is written to tell the story of Israel the way God wanted that story to be told, so that the people of God later could understand what took place. And so that's why not every resource that's mentioned in the scripture survives, and that the story of Israel that we obtain from the text is not a complete story, but it never was intended to be. A lot of things that took place and were said and done that are not recorded in scripture. But the story that is told is said to give us encouragement and that we may learn the lessons that God would have us to learn, that we would not fall by the same pattern of disobedience as they did. Paul makes this clear in Romans 15 and verse 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 12. If we had the full story, it'd probably be easier to understand that, but that full story would come with a lot of difficulties in and of itself. But we do get glimpses of probably the primary reason why Israel did not listen to the prophets. And that actually shows that Israel did listen to the prophets. As Jesus says in Luke 6 and verse 26, warning uh, his disciples, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Israel listened to the false prophets. For every prophet of Yahweh that was warning about the doom and judgment to come, Many others claim to speak for Yahweh, and they try to assure the people that such things would not take place. This message of the false prophets appealed not only to the nationalism, but even the theology of most Israelites. And really, it's not difficult for us to imagine that the men that we esteem as God-faithful prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Amos, were probably seen in their own day as obnoxious, cantankerous curmudgeons who had nothing positive to say, who seemed to be the ones troubling Israel, and spoke of such doom and such seemingly impossible things that were going to take place, that really it was just worth just giving up hope. If, if they were right, uh, why bother? It's only after everything comes to pass, and Israel is sent away into exile, and then Judah is sent away into exile, that they were appreciated for how much Yahweh was speaking through them. And so, we do well to consider the false prophets and what we can learn from them. Who are they? How do they operate? What did they say and do? How did they approach things? And what can we learn from them so that we may not share the faith that Israel maintained? To do that, we need to understand how Israel viewed its relationship with God in the days of the kings. When we hear the prophets, there are these two phrases that are always there. In fact, that you hear them so frequently when translating text, reading the text, that it's very easy to gloss over them, uh, getting on to whatever else is coming afterward. The word of Yahweh came to me saying, or uh, saith Yahweh. We can see these in Isaiah 3.15 or Ezekiel 15.1 as just one example of each of many more we could provide. They exist, though, for an important reason. We shouldn't just blithely pass over them. The prophet says this, and says it continually, sometimes in the same discourse, multiple times, to remind the people that this isn't Isaiah, or Jeremiah, or Ezekiel, or Hosea, or Amos really talking. It's, it's what Yahweh has said through them. That is why Peter underscores this, and tries to, to really hammer home his point in Second Peter chapter 1, about the nature of true prophecy. That... No prophecy of Scripture comes from anyone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is not talking about the hearing of the message, as so many have falsely alleged. This is about the production of the message. What Peter is saying is that when we hear, thus saith Yahweh in the Old Testament from the prophets, this isn't Isaiah speaking presumptuously for, for, for Yahweh, or Ezekiel doing that. This is actually the message that Yahweh revealed, however he managed to reveal to the prophets, that it was his actual words, that they men were 
as the text says, were spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, in the days of four Ezra, the prophetic word was of the greatest importance to Israel. They depended on what the prophets said. Today, we tend to focus on the written word, and that's for good reason. From the scriptures, uh, we are able to be equipped to do every good work in 2 Timothy 3, 15-17. From the scriptures, we're able to be made wise to salvation. And so we focus on the interpretation of scripture. But in pre-exilic Israel, the people turned to prophets and seers to understand what Yahweh would have them to do. For instance, 2 Kings 22, 8-20, the book of the law is found in the temple, and it is brought before Josiah, and it is read before Josiah. Josiah hears it, and he tears his garments. He understands that there's dire consequences because Israel has not kept that message. But what does he do? He immediately asks to inquire of a prophet. And they inquire the prophet as Huldah to hear what Yahweh has to say about this. In 1 Samuel 3 and verse 1, the author tells us that it was a day of no frequent vision, and it was considered a bleak time. In Amos 8, 11-14, Amos warns a prophetic indictment that the day was coming when there was going to be a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, but a famine of the words of Yahweh. And so for matters very significant, what the nation should do, what should happen in times of distress, what Israel would, should do for, for Yahweh, and matters trivial, like 1 Samuel chapter 9, where Samuel uh, and his companion are going to inquire the seer where their donkeys went. Uh, Israel would go and inquire of Yahweh through these prophets and through these seers. But who were these guys? Who were these prophets and seers that Israel would be talking to? Well, we, we get the idea that some of them seem to be a professional caste or guild of prophets. They're called the sons of the prophets in 2 Kings 2 and verse 3. It may have been an inherited position. The royal court would have maintained a staff of prophets. So Nathan and Gad went before David as prophets in 2 Samuel 12, 1 and 24, 11. Uh, in 1 Kings 22, 6, there are prophets before Ahab. Jeremiah and Ezekiel were both priests in Jeremiah 1, 1, Ezekiel 1, 3, but also served as prophets. Interestingly, God calls Amos, who is a sycamore dresser and a shepherd, in Amos 1.1 1, 1 and Amos 7.14, uh, to go to Israel, a different kingdom, and to proclaim a message. But it does seem that seems more on the rare side. The point is that a prophet could be anyone through whom Yahweh intended to communicate a message. It didn't have to be any specific type of person. And in Israel, great emphasis was placed on hearing a word of Yahweh. And true prophets could arise anywhere. It wasn't guaranteed or restricted to a certain group of people. And so the very pressing question comes. We, we've seen these examples, and the examples we've seen so far are actually people who are faithful, true prophets. But how can you know if a prophet were true or not? Because anybody could come up and say, well, Yahweh says this. And this is the concern that we see in Deuteronomy, for instance. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, uh, the text says, If a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams. For Yahweh your God is testing you to know whether you love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Of such a one, it will continue to say that you will put him to death because he has taught rebellion against Yahweh your God, and you will purge the evil from your midst. And in Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 through 22, actually speaking of the prophet to come, uh, he nevertheless also says, uh, The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, How may we know the word that Yahweh has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of Yahweh, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that Yahweh has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it. Presumptuously, you need not be afraid of him. So we see that if something doesn't come to pass, the Israel should not heed that prophet, and that prophet deserves to die for being presumptuous. We hear, even if some sign comes to pass, but the prophet tries to use that particular sign to seduce Israel into serving other gods, Israel's being tempted by Yahweh. Yahweh's allowed this to happen. And so there's a lot of conditions here. 
In fact, Jeremiah will extend this even further. In Jeremiah 28, 7-9, he said that prophets before him had warned of impending judgment and gloom. And so the burden of proof is going to rest on the prophet who speaks a word of peace, uh, that God is not going to bring judgment upon his people. And so, as we stand here today, in hindsight, it's very clear who are the true prophets and who spoke falsely, because we can see what's come to pass. But does, that doesn't really provide a lot of benefit for somebody who's living in the present. It helps us understand about the prophets. But it doesn't help somebody living in the days of Jeremiah. And in fact, if you think about the, the days of Jeremiah, a prophet who had spoken gloom uh, and, and impending judgment, that hadn't happened yet. So there could be a question as to whether that prophet is speaking a true word or not. And so this is much more complicated and difficult than we might imagine. Who is speaking accurately? It's very easy to make that decision in hindsight, but in the moment, it's a very difficult thing to ascertain. But for our purposes now, it's important to note that Israel was dependent on hearing a word from Yahweh, and that there were going to be prophets who were going to speak in Yahweh's name. But there was going to be some prophets who would speak in Yahweh's name who Speak, who spoke presumptuously, whom, whom Yahweh had not spoken through. And so how could they know who was really speaking for Yahweh or not? How were they going to be able to do that? And it's good for us to look and see the types of things that we're talking about. Because the story of Israel is replete with both false prophets and rebellious people. Despite the dangers, and for whatever motivations, many people were willing to speak presumptuously in the name of Yahweh. Say, Yahweh told me, when Yahweh had not actually told that person. Many Israelites were hard of heart and refused to listen when the prophets spoke hard truths. That's why in Romans 10 and verse 21, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament saying that God has held out his hand all day to a rebellious and disobedient people. This provides Zechariah with the first words in his prophecies indicting the people in Zechariah chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Yahweh was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares Yahweh of hosts, Return to me, says Yahweh of hosts, and I will return to you, says Yahweh of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Return from your evil deeds and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares Yahweh. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, did they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants of prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, As Yahweh of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. Notice how many times thus says Yahweh of hosts is in there, and this realization they are hard of heart, but compelled to repent based upon circumstances. So if you have rebellious people, What happens when a false prophet comes in their midst? What we see is Jesus said that uh, all spoke well of him. So who are these false prophets? Well, we get a general idea of some of the things they're doing. Many of the prophets, especially in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, we hear about some of these prophets. These, they're, they're prophets who lie, and they see false visions in Isaiah 9.15, Lamentations 2.14, and Ezekiel 22.28. There are some prophets who are covetous. They deal falsely in Jeremiah 8.10 and Micah 3.11. There are prophets who do not have knowledge in Jeremiah 14.18, Hosea 5 and 6. They do not really know what Yahweh has, has spoken in the law, let alone what he would say. That many times prophets acted in, in enmity with what God has purposed in Hosea 9 and verse 8. That prophets themselves were sinful and would be guilty of bloodshed at times in Lamentations 4.13 and Ezekiel 22.25. In Micah 3.11, the prophets presumed that Yahweh's presence meant that there would be peace. Well, Yahweh's here, so we will have shalom. In Jeremiah 14, 13 through 15, uh, Jeremiah says there are prophets who will tell the people they will not experience trial. Uh, Yahweh says they speak deceitfully, that they are liars, that they were not sent by him, that they will suffer the very trials that they are denying will take place. And this gives Jeremiah a reason for lament in chapter 4. 23. That's worth considering. Beginning in verse 9. Consider concerning the prophets, 
My heart is broken within me, all my bones shake. I am like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine, because of Yahweh and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers, because of the curse the land mourns, and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil, and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house I have found their evil, declares Yahweh. Therefore their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness, into which they shall be driven and fall. For I'll bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares Yahweh. In the prophets of Samaria I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hand of evildoers, so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me, and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says Yahweh of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of Yahweh. They say continually to those who despise the word of Yahweh, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster has come upon you. will come upon you. For who among them has stood in the council of Yahweh to see or hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of Yahweh! Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of Yahweh will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds." Am I a God at hand, declares Yahweh, or not a God afar off? Can a man hide himself in secret places that I cannot see him, declares Yahweh? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares Yahweh? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies, and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal? Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares Yahweh? Is not my word like fire, declares Yahweh, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares Yahweh, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares Yahweh, who use their tongues and declare, declares Yahweh. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares Yahweh, and who tell them and lead thy people astray by their lies and by their recklessness, when I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares Yahweh. He will go on to say that Israel is now the burden of Yahweh, and that Yahweh has not sent his burden to the burden, which is Masah Yahweh, which sometimes be used to describe the message that God had for Israel. And so we can see in this extended lament that they speak falsely, that they have seen dreams and heard vision and all these other things that they think has come from Yahweh possibly, or they just imagined their own mind and said, it came from Yahweh. Uh, they are Yahweh's burden. He will cast them off. They will be ashamed and they will be destroyed. In Jeremiah 26, 7 and 8 and 11, the prophets among those who seized Jeremiah and they declared him worthy of death because he had spoken against Jerusalem. And so here the prophets are aligned against God's purposes. Uh, Jeremiah 27, 29, uh, Jeremiah warns against the very types of false prophecies that Hananiah would utter. The idea that you will not serve the king of Babylon, everything will come back soon. We have another denunciation that's worthy of consideration of the false prophets. It really helps us understand them in Ezekiel chapter 13. The word of Yahweh came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying and who say to those who prophesy from their own hearts, hear the word of Yahweh. Thus says the Lord Yahweh, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets have become like jackals among ruins, O Israel. You have not gone up into the breaches or built up a wall for the house of Israel, that it might stand in battle in the day of Yahweh. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say, declares Yahweh, when Yahweh has not sent them, and yet they expect him to fulfill their word. 
Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination whenever you have said, declares Yahweh, although I have not spoken? Therefore thus says the Lord Yahweh, Because you have uttered falsehood and seen lying visions, therefore behold, I am against you, declares the Lord Yahweh. My hand shall be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, not be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor that shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord Yahweh. Precisely because they have misled my people, saying, Peace, when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash, say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. Continuing on in verse 17, And you, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own minds. Prophesy against them and say, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Woe to the women who sew magic bands upon all wrists and make veils for the heads of persons of every stature in the hunt for souls. Will you hunt down souls belonging to my people and keep your own souls alive? You have profaned me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread, putting to death souls who should not die and keeping alive souls who should not live by your life lying to my people who listen to your lies. Verse 22, Because you have disheartened the righteous falsely, although I have not grieved him, and you have encouraged the wicked that he should not turn from his evil way to save his life, therefore you shall no more see false visions or practice divination. I will deliver my people out of your hand, and you shall know that I am Yahweh. So we see again that these, these, these prophets have seen falsehood. They've claimed that they've heard messages from Yahweh, then they've not heard messages from Yahweh. They speak peace when there's no peace. They do not stand the breach of the wall to protect the people and to handle the situation. And instead, by prophesying peace when there is no peace and providing comfort to the, afflict, to the afflictor and afflicting those who needed comfort, uh, they have entirely reversed God's purposes and God was going to cause them to suffer for it. Now in all these things we have this generic false prophet. We see, okay, these are the false prophets are doing. But we don't really see any of them, right? We've just heard uh, about them and for all we know they're just making caricatures of their opponents. We, we trust in, in the prophets that they're, they're being honest with the people. Well, thankfully we don't have to just take it for their word that actually in Jeremiah 28 we have uh, an example of a false prophet. What happens? Hananiah, this, uh, Hananiah. Hananiah, son of Azur. In chapter 27, Jeremiah has said, do not say that Babylon is going to be overthrown and everything's going to be great. In fact, ba uh, Jeremiah has been wearing a yoke and saying that anybody who submits to the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar will survive, and if you don't, you're going to uh, suffer the consequences. And so Hananiah, we hear, says in verse 1 of chapter 28, uh, spoke to Jeremiah in the house of Yahweh in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of Yahweh's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares Yahweh, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Later on, uh, Hananiah would break the yoke of Jeremiah in verse 10, and then he would say again in the presence of all the people, Thus says Yahweh, Even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years. Now, later in the chapter, Yahweh's word will come to Jeremiah, condemning Hananiah's actions and Hananiah himself. And Hanan jo Jeremiah said that Hananiah would uh, die that very year, and within a couple months, Jeremiah, Hananiah actually died. So the word of Yahweh that came from Jeremiah's mouth was immediately fulfilled. Hananiah, uh, Hananiah's word, of course, was not. Within two years, uh, it, all these things did not happen. But we can see here the mode of the false prophet. We can see here that he says, thus says Yahweh, and he says something that the people like to hear. Hey, in two years, everything's going to be great. And it was even theologically desirable. So we, we can see more about this. But it's not merely... Uh, situations where we have very clearly delineated true prophets and false prophets. It would be very easy if we can say, this is a true prophet, this is a false prophet. Notice that in those texts, they're not called false prophets. Yes, later on, they will be characterized as false prophets. Jeremiah, was, uh, Zechariah talks with the hardest heart of the people. Uh, Jesus talks about the false prophets in Luke 6. Peter will in 2 Peter 2. 
But there's called prophets in the Old Testament. And uh, there are times when even quote-unquote true prophets behaved badly. And thinking specifically of one circumstance that uh, is, is very interesting, it's in 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 13. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 13, we've just learned about Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and all the different things he did that would cause Israel to sin. And so in the beginning of chapter 13, a man of God comes from Judah by the word of Yahweh, and Jeroboam is actually at, at the altar to make offerings. And uh, uh, this prophet, this man of God, denounces what happened and said that uh, uh, this would all be torn down and that uh, Josiah would eventually come from the house of David and would sacrifice on this altar the priests of the high places who make their offerings on them. And he gave a sign about it. And uh, Jeroboam stretched out his hand to seize him, but his hand uh, dried up. And uh, the sign of the man of Yahweh came to pass. And so the, guy, the king sees that there's power here, and so he wants this man to entreat a god for him. Um, the hand is made back to normal, so the king wants to show hospitality. Come and refresh yourself. I'll give you a prophet's re a reward, which would come from seeking the words of, of Yahweh. But the man of God says, uh, I will not go in with you if you give me half your house, because I was commanded by the word of Yahweh, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. And so he was going back a different way. And this time a prophet, in an old prophet in Bethel, heard about this situation. And he wants to bring this guy in. So he goes and he, he meets this guy. And he says, come home with me and eat bread in verse 15. And uh, the prophet says, from, from Judah, man of God says, I cannot go in with you and drink water or eat bread. Uh, because the word of Yahweh said to me, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the way that you came. And then in verse 18, this prophet of, Ju of Israel says, I also am a prophet, as you are, and an angel spoke to me by the word of Yahweh, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So the man of God from Judah came and ate with him, and then all of a sudden, the very next moment, verse 20, Yahweh came to the prophet that brought him back. So Yahweh is now speaking through this Israelite prophet who had lied in the name of Yahweh. And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah, Thus says Yahweh, Because you have disobeyed the word of Yahweh, and have not kept the command that Yahweh your God commanded you, but have come back and you have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said, Do not do that, uh, then your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And so the guy starts leaving, a lion meets him in the road, kills him, and sits there. Doesn't take the donkey, doesn't anything, sits there. And the lion just stands there the body, and then the prophet is told, The prophet comes, the lion leaves, uh, they take the body, he mourns over the body, and he buries the body. He tells his sons, when I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones by his bones. For the saying that he called out by the word of Yahweh against the altar in Bethel uh, will pass. Because he's a faithful prophet. And so here we have a, a most vexed situation. Because a prophet who speaks the word of Yahweh, the prophet Bethel, lied in the name of Yahweh, which we're told is this awful thing, which of course it is. Uh, and yet Yahweh speaks through him that very next moment to denounce the other prophet for doing what he was commanded not to do because he was deceived by the prophet now speaking to him. And the, the deceitful prophet recognizing this, the veracity of that man of God. It's a, almost, it must make your head spin. But it shows that sometimes even good prophets can behave badly and not listen to the word of Yahweh. Beyond the false prophets and the fact that some prophets behave badly, we also have the fact that we said the people were rebellious. The people did not listen to the prophets. We saw it in Zechariah. It also says 2 Kings 17. But why not? And we get glimpses of the reasoning sometimes. Uh, Isaiah puts it out bluntly. Probably not the exact words that people would use, but it, it at least identifies their approach, their, their unconscious reasoning, even if they would protest it. In Isaiah chapter 30, beginning in verse 9, They are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of Yahweh, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions. Leave the way, turn aside from the path, let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. 
A few people are going to be so bold as to say that, but that's really what they're asking for in the way they treat the prophets and what and who the, to whom they listen. We see this also in Amos 2 and verse 12. Now Ahab allowed Jezebel to kill many of the prophets of Yahweh in 1 Kings 18, 4 and 13. She wanted to kill Elijah as well in 1 Kings 19 and verse 2. In 2 Chronicles 24, we see the downfall of Jehoash, that uh, many of his... Uh, Officials led him away from Yahweh after Jehoiada the priest died when Zechariah the son of Jehoiada prophesied about uh, uh, the danger and, and he should turn back. He was killed and uh, stoned, in fact. And um, that's why Jeremiah 2 and verse 30, Jeremiah talk about how they've killed the prophets. Micah, one of the, the most uh, fun verses of the Bible in its own way, in Micah 2 and verse 11, said that if there was a, a prophet said, I will speak of you of wine and beer. He would be the prophet for this people. And uh, I think to this day, if there were a man who would preach to people of wine and beer, they would enjoy that more than the preaching they hear. In Hosea 11, 2, in, ver in chapter 12, and verse 10, uh, Hosea says that the more the prophets prophesied, the further Israel moved away from Yahweh. The same idea is there in Isaiah's call in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah's call to, make, to blind the people, to make them deaf, so that they would not hear, lest God would heal them. The idea of the going out and preaching the message making it to be heard in its own way alienates the people. Jeremiah 5, verse 31, the people love to have prophets speak falsely. And the people are convinced in chapter 18, verse 18, that the law will not depart from the priest, and the word of Yahweh will not depart from the prophet. We see this very explicitly in Jeremiah 29, 24-29, when Shemaiah the Nehalamite claims that Jeremiah is a madman who should be put in the asylum because he sent a letter to the exiles suggesting the exile would last long enough to build houses and the people should just carry on with their lives. And it's like, this is crazy talk. Why? It's crazy talk because we all know that Yahweh is going to bring us back. Dot, dot, dot. And beyond that, Azariah the son of Hashiah and Yohanan the son of Korea, after Jerusalem is destroyed. So, Jeremiah was completely right. They asked Jeremiah to inquire of Yahweh whether they should stay in the land of Judah or leave to go to Egypt. When Jeremiah said, you should not go to Egypt, you need to stay here, they accused Jeremiah of speaking falsely because Baruch influenced them to that end in Jeremiah 43, 1-6. Even after all that, they would still not listen to what Yahweh said through Jeremiah. And later on, when, when Jeremiah is compelled to go to Egypt with all of them, he he sees all of these Israelites in exile making offerings to the Queen of Heaven. And he den denounces that in the name of Yahweh, in the word, by the word of Yahweh. And they say, well, you know what? Everything went well when we offered the Queen of Heaven. It's when we stopped offering the Queen of Heaven that things got bad. That's how deep they had gotten in their departure from Yahweh. That uh, they actually thought it was because they didn't offer to the pagan gods. But then there's another complicating category, which is that there, there are times when Yahweh sends deceptions. We saw that in Deuteronomy 13. And sometimes uh, Yahweh would test the people by allowing a sign from a prophet to happen, even though the prophet's message was not consistent with his purposes. Ezekiel 14 and verse 9. And if a prophet is deceived and speaks a word, I, Yahweh, have deceived that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand against him and will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel. However we want to understand that, it shows that Yahweh is taking some agency in the, in the deceptive message. And then there's the curious vision of Micaiah, the son of Imlah, in 1 Kings 22. At that moment, all the prophets spoke unanimously that Ahab would go into battle against uh, the Arameans at Ramoth Gilead, and he would be victorious. Uh, but then Micaiah is called, and Micaiah does not speak the same word that all the other prophets speak. And he will, in fact, go on to describe a vision that he had received. In verse 19 of chapter 22 of 1 Kings where he says, uh, I saw Yahweh sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him and on his right hand and on his left. And Yahweh said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing, another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before Yahweh saying, I will entice him. And Yahweh said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. And he said, You are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now therefore, behold, Yahweh has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. Yahweh has declared disaster for you. 
So Micah has no problem saying Yahweh has deceived Ahab in the name of these prophets. These prophets are all saying exactly what Yahweh wants them to say, and it's dead wrong. And of course, in the end, Micah is proven right. Ahab goes out, Ahab is killed, and Ahab is killed even though they didn't know it was Ahab that they were shooting. And so, it can be a little complicated. There are many prophets who speak falsely for whatever reason. The true prophets will occasionally lie. The people heed false prophets and resist true ones. And sometimes Yahweh is even deceiving through the prophets. So what on earth are we to make of this? How is this relevant to our lives in Christ? Well, it's easy to accept a caricature of the false prophets on a basic level. They're in it for the money. And so they'll say whatever will get them paid. They'll tell people what the people want to hear and not expect them to make change. They're going to resist the message of the true prophets because it undermines their own stability at the very least, and also their standing and reputation as well. It's an easy way of looking at the false prophets. And, no doubt, these things were true of many of those false prophets, maybe even of most of them, however much they would uh, be willing to admit that. Now, we want to hold the false prophets at arm's length, because we don't want to have anything to do with them and to be them. But we need to be careful lest we fall prey to the same pattern of disobedience that Israel did with its false prophets. And of course the question is, did the false prophets believe they were false prophets? Well, it's quite the question. Ultimately we can't really answer it. We can't put them on the couch or ask them, involve them in psychology like that. Perhaps many were well aware that Yahweh did not actually speak to them and that they knew consciously they were deceiving the people. But can we say for certain that such was true of all of them? Again, as we mentioned, they're not called false prophets in the texts that we read. They're called false prophets in retrospect. They're just prophets or prophets who speak lies in those earlier days. And of course, we got that complicated story of the Israelite prophet and the man of God in Judah in 1 Kings 13. Now, what would motivate a person to claim Yahweh spoke to them and say things Yahweh did not actually say, but which the person believes Yahweh did or would say? Well, we actually understand, we do have a, a glimpse of this, and it's that word presumption. We saw in Deuteronomy 18, the core sin of the false prophet is the presumption to speak where Yahweh has not. It's actually an example of this. It's not chastised because it was done innocently. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, Nathan hears that David wants to build a temple. And it sounds good. And so he pronounces a blessing. He, said, he, he makes a deduction. Yahweh has favored you. Do what pleases your heart. Now, later on, that night, Yahweh said, no, 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 no. He is not to build me a temple. And uh, he explains why David will not build him a temple. It's important to note, Nathan did not presume Yahweh would automatically like the plan, but he knew Yahweh was with David, and the plan sounded good. Now, we know Nathan's a faithful prophet, because he heard what Yahweh said, proclaimed it, and established it with David. So it's not really that big of a stretch to imagine a prophet seeing a situation, and drawing conclusions based on what he or she understands about Yahweh and about Israel. And so this is that private interpretation that was uh, chastised in 2 Peter 1.20. That's why it's not true prophecy. Yahweh did not actually say it. It's the, private, the prophet presuming that this is what Yahweh would say or would want. We think, well, how could they do that? Well, to this day, is it not easy for us to say God has clearly said, or God has established, something that God has not actually explicitly said or explicitly established? Why would we say, well, God has clearly said, if he has not explicitly said it? Well, we'll, we'll bluster, well, we can see that this is what God said, and that this is what God said, and therefore this is what God, this is, this is the conclusion that we make. And maybe the conclusion is true. Even the, the conclusion might be likely true. But it still has a level of presumption, because God has not explicitly said it. How many times in song or preaching do we put words in the mouth of God or Jesus or another biblical character in order to make a point? Um, very easy to do. Sometimes Lord's Supper songs will have words that come from Jesus' mouth that Jesus did not actually say. But we understand that the sentiment is trying to put us in that position. A lot of times in preaching, a, a person will try to make the situation come alive by uh, expanding dialogue. If you see any movie... Uh, movies are very guilty of this, but at the same time, you need to have it in order to have a movie of any of any decent uh, storyline, where y certain things that are implicit are made explicit, and you just add certain storylines just to create the narrative. 
And so it's not surprising at all to have a prophet see a situation, and draw conclusions, and yet be quite confident that Yahweh's behind it all. And really, that's the danger of presumption. It's easily done very innocently. A lot of people can get caught up in, in presumption, just assuming that God is okay with something, or that this is what God would want, or having bought so much into their conclusions that haven't checked all of the work to see if they really authentic, authentically derive from what God has said. Uh, and that's where the danger of presumption comes in. Another factor driving false prophets, ironically, is theology. The Israelites had a particular view of God, and uh, the, a lot of those views of God really aren't based in lies. It's very easy to walk away with the idea that uh, Israel had abandoned Yahweh, even the days where they served the Baals. At any point in Israel's history, Israel would have said Yahweh was their God, and he had rescued them and their ancestors from Egypt. It's not that they were denying that. They also just thought that it, Baal was God, and he should be served too. Uh, all the false prophets believed in Yahweh. All the people believed in Yahweh. That wasn't the issue. In fact, Judah, between 700 and 586 before Jesus, was profoundly shaped by the experience of the Assyrian invasion the siege of Jerusalem. Uh, they were traumatized, no doubt, by how everything was destroyed by Jerusalem. But they remembered that Yahweh would not allow the place where he made his name to dwell be overrun. And it's worth considering, just for a moment, uh, in the way that it's put in Isaiah 37, in talking about the historical narrative of these events in verse 32. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will do this. And then in verse 35, For I will defend the city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. It's all things that's going to happen. And it happened that way. And so the Judah, people of Judah were just banking on this again. That the Babylonians threatened, are they any less pagan than the Assyrians? No. Uh, would it be expected that Yahweh would, for the sake of his name and for the sake of his, his servant David, again defend his city? Absolutely. You can see why they would believe that. And so that is why they kept going back to the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord in Jeremiah 7, 4, and Micah 3:11. Yahweh's with us. Nothing's going to go wrong. Because the Judites knew Yahweh's our God, and he dwelt in Zion, and he would not give his glory to another, that the nations were nothing in his sight. All these things are true. But the conclusion they drew from it would that, that Yahweh would rescue them again from any danger and they would carry on as before is where they got into difficulty because they assumed that just because that's what happened earlier it was going to happen again. And so in, in an interesting way, you could say that these Israelites who proved to be the false prophets were actually adhering to what they call quote-unquote good theology. Uh, at least the theology that was agreed upon among the people. And, and, and you can see why the message of Jeremiah was, this, was suspect and blasphemous that Yahweh was going to allow the pagan Babylonians to get glory over him, that Yahweh was going to let them think Marduk gave them victory over Yahweh, that Yahweh was going to abandon his promise to David, treat the people of Judah like that of Israel, and that the people of Yahweh should submit to the yoke of a pagan oppressor? Now, people of Judah were going to be confronted with their folly very sharply in 586, and the reason why Jeremiah is held so highly in Scripture is because the exilic and post-exilic uh, Israelites recognized how their ancestors had trusted their theology over what Yahweh was actually saying through Jeremiah and others. That the situation was not the same. That this was a judgment against Jerusalem in a way that they were blinded to for by presumption of theology beforehand. Now, this is not the last time the people of God would be humbled because they put their theology over what Yahweh was actually saying. It happened in the days of Jesus. And it's happened to Christians many times when they were just convinced something was going to happen or God was on their side and it did not prove to be so. Another factor that would lead to false prophets doing what they were doing is cultural pressure. We've said that the Israelites were quite rebellious. They didn't like hearing message that condemned their behaviors. And so there would be a constant pressure on prophets from all around to provide a message that would be heard. The messages of Amos, Isaiah, and so on not only condemned idolatry, but they also condemned the abuse of the poor and other forms of injustice in Isaiah 1 and 3, Amos 2 and 4. And so the powerful and the influential, those being indicted, would have resisted those messages and would have put all of their resources into challenging them and to cause great difficulties for these prophets. There would be a lot of cultural pressure for prophets to uphold the status quo, 
And yet, when a word of Yahweh came to a prophet, that word tended to be sharply critical of the status quo. So, what happens when the faithful message is contrary to everything people want to believe? Well, these false prophets maybe want to curry some favor. Maybe they're concerned about their livelihood and their social standing. Maybe they just got tired of fighting. But whatever the reason, they accommodated their culture and they watered down the message. In the end, it's very easy to point fingers at the false prophets. But unfortunately, they prove all too understandable at times. Because we're tempted by the same dangers. We've learned a lot about the false prophets. That the Israel before the exile depended upon the word of Yahweh to the prophets. And that Yahweh's message was in stark contrast to the thought and behavior patterns of Israel. There were a few prophets who stood in that gap and spoke Yahweh's words, even when they were hard to hear. But far more did not provide the word Yahweh intended spoke presumptuously, or compromised this message, forcing Yahweh's word to fit their preconceived theological notions. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, 8-10, uh, prophecy has faded and passed away. But there's a lot of ways that Christians speak according to what God has already made known, and we'll call a prophetic stance. We speak of the prophets this way, not in terms of getting message directly from God, but speaking truth to power, to declare God's purposes, especially when and where they are incompatible with prevailing norms. In Hebrews 4 and verse 12, we're told the word of God is living and active, and it has something to say to this very day about how people are going to live. Because when we look at what God has revealed through the apostles and Jesus, we and try to apply them to life in the 21st century, and we try to exhort people in our fellow, our fellow Americans to, to follow Jesus, or wherever we're at, to follow Jesus, we're going to, by necessity, have to chastise our society and culture for calling evil good and good evil, and where they participate in oppression and injustice in Isaiah 1 and chapter 5. And so we're going to stand at the same crossroads that those in Israel stood. If we're going to stand for what God has revealed, we're going to suffer persecution and suffering. That's a guarantee in Acts 14, 22, 2, Peter, 2 Timothy 3, 12, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, 11 through 12 and 18 through 25. It's always going to be easier to water down the message, to accommodate the culture, and to make God what God has said fit what is desired, as opposed to declaring what Yahweh would have us to say. That is why Paul warns Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 that people are going to uh, have itching ears. They're going to turn away from sound teachings and, and uh, heap up for themselves teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. And that is how we are tempted to go in the way of the false prophets. We're very tempted to speak beyond what God has spoken in Scripture, to put words in the mouth of God and presume that our conclusions are what God has really said. We need to be careful about that presumption, however innocent, and see where it led the false prophets, let alone the false teachers, and even those who have gone before us in recent years. It is tempting to build a theology and then force what God has said into that theology. Very hard for people to reconcile their view of God with what God has spoken in Scripture. And it's easy to start doubting whether we have faithfully heard when the difficulty comes from those who refuse to truly hear. That's why Jesus warns about the fact that on the day of judgment, many who are going to call it Lord, Lord, but they're going to be condemned, they have not heard what Jesus has said and done it. Matthew 7, 21-27. That it's all too easy to conform to the world in a lot of ways and to allow the message to, that we preach to conform to the world. Do we take off the edge... And we say, surely God, out of the radical elements of what God has made known, surely God didn't mean that to that extent. Or surely God understands in this circumstance the difficulties. Or surely God, any of those surely God statements uh, come without scriptural authority and would not be necessary if the scriptural authority existed. It's very easy to compromise truth in the name of this is the way the world works. Well, the world works in a lot of ways, but we're to be opposed to those ways in Romans 12 and 1 John chapter 2. Now, it is true that there are a lot of people who have very poor motivations. They're motivated by selfish ambition uh, or greed. And plenty of others begin as deceived and they continue to deceive. But there are a lot of other people who are just tired. They grow weary and they stop resisting the way they used to, like Ephesus did in Revelation 2. And so we need to learn this about, from the example of the false prophets to gain to perspective. The grass will fade and be destroyed, but the word of Yahweh will remain forever. Current cultural views and norms will not last, but for a moment. But the word of Yahweh endures forever. In Isaiah 40 and 1 Peter 1. We look back in the past and are so embarrassed at how people compromise the word of God to justify denominational doctrines, to justify 
the enslavement of the whole people and the, the depopulation of lands, the justify all kinds of inappropriate behaviors. Why? Because it made sense in their culture, made sense in the theology they had developed. If we give in to the present, we just accommodate the way the culture wants us to accommodate the message of Jesus. If we are going to just change the sexual ethics of what God has revealed to fit what culture would have us to fit, if we're supposed to fit, uh, make the gospel fit the modern views of tolerance, uh, will we not look to future generations as the false prophets look to us? Yes, the cause of standing firm in the present is very daunting. Uh, James 5, 10 through 11, James points out, we see how the suffer prophets suffered. And absolutely, they suffered terrible, tragic things. But we consider that those who endured are blessed, and that's going to be true for us as well if we endure. And so we return to where we started in Luke chapter 6, where Jesus is proclaiming the Sermon on the Plain. Because Jesus provides a choice for believers in it. Are we going to be like the false prophets that we read about in Luke 6, 26? That all the people spoke well of them. But woe comes upon them. We can always say what people want to hear and receive their praise. But we will not have the praise of God. Or are we going to stand firm for God and His purposes to proclaim His truth in Christ? Well, then we get what we see in verse 22 and 23. That people, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and keep leap for joy for behold your reward is great in heaven for so their fathers did to the prophet. People are going to do that. They're going to hate us. They're going to attempt to marginalize us, consider us to be evil. But we know that our reward in the resurrection will be great. Therefore, may we all seek to stand firm in the truth of God in Christ, to speak that truth to a generation that doesn't want to hear it, lest we prove to be like the false prophets and share in their condemnation. We're so glad that you've joined us. It's been a very long-term investigation into the false prophets there's so much here to talk about maybe there's some more you'd like to talk about in terms of the false prophets uh you'd like to learn more about the true prophets to learn more about jesus uh, we're going to be talking also about uh, false teachers if you'd like to uh stick around for that lesson they'll be coming up soon that discussion as well uh maybe you'd like to explore past discussions or have a bible correspondence course or get a bible study or uh, explore various articles on various subjects. Please uh, check us out online at BenishChurchOfChrist.org. We're also on social media. You can also contact me directly uh, at my website, DeverboVitae.com. That's www.deverbovita.com. We again thank you. Have a great day.